Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Christielle, and this is my co-host and daughter, Sarah. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, we're talking about something that Sarah is really excited about. You can tell that she's really excited, right? We're talking about easy-to-grow mushrooms that you can grow at home to make remedies and superfoods. So, Sarah, tell us about how Lion's Mane helped you. Well, slightly over a year ago, I had a, well, I got sick with the virus that must not be named, henceforth known as Covoldemore. And after a couple months of recovery, I was still dealing with lethargy, brain fog, and just generally not feeling very energetic. And I was growing mushrooms and was reading up on some of the benefits of some of the mushrooms I was trying to grow. And one of those is my personal favorite mushroom and actually the only one I can stand eating, which is lion's mane. And lion's mane has some specific benefits that let it, well, help it re-energize your mitochondria in your cells. And so I decided when I had a nice fluffy lion's mane that was ready to harvest to fry it up and make imitation bacon bits with lots of butter. Yum. And I ate lion's mane. And the next day, I had my energy back. It's not supposed to work that fast. Wow, that is really fast. Are you sure it was lion's mane and not just a coincidence? If it was a coincidence, it was a very coincidental coincidence that I'm exhausted one day, I make up the dish with the lion's mane, and the next day I wake up with actual energy again. That's like a miracle food. Now, I did eat about half a cup of lion's mane. Yum. Cooked down, which actually probably puts it closer to about 500 grams of fresh mushrooms. Nice. So since then, I have made sure to dehydrate my lion's mane and powder it so I can add it to other foods. So I'm going to back up a bit. And just for clarification, you're growing lion's mane. What does that mean to our audience? Like, is this something they could grow at home? Or is it like you have a specialty grow area and no one could copy this? You can do it at home. Because all you need is a grow kit and a tent that you can keep humid. Or a plastic bag that you can keep keep humid. And so this lion's mane that you grow, do you grow it year-round or just in the summer or just in the winter? Honestly, mostly in the winter. If I have the spent bags outdoors, I will get some in the spring and fall. They don't really fruit during the summer because it's just too darn hot. And during the summer, I cannot grow them indoors because there are too many other bacteria and fungi flying around. And the lion's mane mycelium is not strong enough to overcome the contaminants because I don't have a fancy area. I'm doing this in my kitchen, in my dining room. And I just don't have the ability to keep contaminants out. So I just need to work with it, mostly when there's low volumes of contaminants, like when it's bloody cold in the house. So you're mostly doing it spring and fall and winter. So th- so when you're not in the garden, when garden season is finished, that's when you can grow mushrooms in the house. Pretty much, which is why we're talking about it in December. That sounds fun. So in fact, mushroom grow kits are, are great Christmas gifts too. Yep. If you have any local mushroom farms, you might be surprised that they may be offering grow kits for oyster mushrooms, lion's mane, and others for Christmas. 
So you said just now that lion's mane is the only mushroom that you like. And so other mushrooms you don't really care for? I don't like eating them as much. A lot of people are are averse to mushrooms. So mushrooms um, actually have a remarkable number of health benefits. Lion's mane particularly that Sarah's been talking about is one that is known to re-energize brain cells. It can help with memory. It can help with concentration. Obviously, it can help with energy, as Sarah mentioned. And so it's really a good mushroom if you're looking for a mushroom with therapeutic benefits, especially for the brain. And it kind of looks like a brain too. And it makes really good crab cakes. And it tastes good. That's, that's beneficial. It's also a great source of protein and has a lot of unique antioxidants that aren't found in other foods. Mushrooms actually have a very unique set of antioxidants. Every type of mushroom has its own unique antioxidant molecules that are named after it. And the antioxidants in mushrooms actually are being pulled from the trees that they grow on. So what does lion's mane grow on? Well, it can grow on alder, poplar, maple, and oak, I believe. And it is the only mushroom that will grow on black walnut. Oh, that's good. Is that what you're growing it on? I am growing it actually on hardwood fuel pellets that are a blend of maple and oak. Nice. So easy to find because they're fuel pellets made for pellet stoves. Yep, easy to find at your local hardware store, as long as they brought in the pellets for winter. And that works out perfectly because winter is when you grow them. Yep. Indoors. And if you have too many pellets, you can always pass them on to somebody who actually uses a pellet stove. So you have a favorite mushroom, lion's mane. Do you have other favorite mushrooms? For ease of growing, I like working with the oyster mushroom. They're really fun to grow and a lot of people like them, especially my friends who are vegan. And some of the reasons for oyster mushroom is it's great as a food. It has great antioxidant benefits. It's fast growing. You can grow it on almost any cellulose-based material, whether that's coffee grounds, newspaper, cardboard, spent wrapping paper from Christmas as long as it's not plasticized. It will grow on anything I've even heard of it growing on corn husks, corn cobs, and fruit peels. I've grown it on blue jeans. And then there are different varieties of oyster mushroom that will thrive in any climate. So if you're, say, in Texas or Florida, you have pink oyster mushrooms. They are bright pink. They love growing on water oaks. And you can grow them on your coffee grounds. But if you're out where I am in the north, we have pearl oyster, which is white, blue oyster, which is sort of grayish. And we even have some autumn oysters that are brown that will grow in cold climates. And the funny thing about autumn oysters is that they actually prefer fruiting after it freezes. Right. right. And I found some in the forest the size of a dinner plate. Wow. They smell like anise. It's really, really distinctive. So I am growing oyster mushrooms on coffee grounds. And I love it because I don't have to sterilize anything. The coffee grounds sometimes even come with mold on them and the oysters can outcompete the mold. And so all I do is I get a cardboard box. I layer like lasagna, coffee grounds and oyster mushrooms. And then I top the whole thing with a bit of straw to keep the moisture in, water it occasionally. And once the box is maciliated, which means all of the mushroom 
uh, roots have gone through the entire box of coffee grounds, it starts fruiting when the temperature is right. And during the summer, I actually mostly in the spring, not in the hot part of the summer, but then again in the fall, I get flush after flush after flush of mushrooms from that. But your mushrooms are 100% outdoors, so any chance of contamination isn't a big deal. I grow indoors and I'm allergic to mold, so I prefer working with the hardwood fuel pellets because it's harder for mold to take hold on them. I just have my cardboard box of mushrooms under a lilac tree for shade. And when I water my garden, I just use the hose and wet down the box as well. So very simple. I never, I don't try to grow them in the house. I just grow them outside in the shade. And when the mushrooms are finished and the box is finished, um, when you open the box, it will be full of earthworms, which is amazing. Worms love mushrooms. And then we just took, we just take the box and put it as part of our garden bed. And so there's no waste at all. We get all these delicious mushrooms. We're helping out the coffee shop by taking their, their coffee grounds away. And then the garden bed can randomly fruit mushrooms too. I don't know if it does. I haven't seen that yet, but we'll see. Sometimes it does. You had that happen when you built the garden bed out of your spent shiitake logs. Right, right. The shiitakes kept fruiting. That's right. So we've talked about lion's mane. We've talked about oyster mushrooms. Is there another mushroom that you think is great? Reishi. When it's growing, it looks like aliens. So actually reishi, a lot of people don't think of it as a mushroom because it's hard and like woody. You want to talk about that a bit? Reishi is a shelf fungus. So in the wild, it normally just forms like a bracket or a shelf on the tree. And it's a hard, dense mushroom that is sort of designed to withstand the tree falling and trying to bust it. However, if you're growing it from, say, a grow kit or something, it ends up growing in long, twisty antlers. Yeah, they look amazing. That look like aliens. And people swear it's fake. They're such a pretty color, too. I love the color of Rishi's. Me too. That's why I like growing them. Because they look cool. And they look almost like they've been varnished. And they go great in broth, usually are used in broth, tinctures, or powdered for use in coffee, hot chocolate, or capsules. And, and what do you, um, what are they good for? Your health. Basically your immune system, or your brain, or your heart. Reishi is used as an immune booster. It's also used just as a general health boost. It is one of the main mushrooms used for like mushroom elixirs. And as one of the main blends outside of the wild mushrooms for like the mushroom teas and mushroom coffees. Is, is reishi the mushroom that's called the mushroom of immortality? Yes. So it's supposed to be really, really, really good for your health. Now, it doesn't grow in the wild in North America. Yes, it does. It does? Yes. We have Ganoderma species in North America. We do have brown reishi. We also have black reishi in North America. And it's simply any Ganoderma species is pretty much considered a reishi. Okay. It just is delineated by color. I think our North Americans are a little more lighter brown, whereas the ones from Asia are a little more reddish brown. And that's about really the only difference, except for the black one, which I was not successful at growing. So when you're talking about putting it in soup, we don't actually eat the mushroom. We put it in the soup um, and simmer it in the broth, and then we remove it. And because it's too fibrous to eat. Well, if you want to revisit our podcast on supercharged soups, 
the technique used for making either bone broth or a vegetable stock, it's those two early steps is where you want to add reishi mushroom. And it's basically a sliced slices of reishi mushroom that you add. Slices or chunks, depending on how you've been able to get it. It's really hard to slice mature reishi. Right, because it's so hard. Yep. So you basically put a piece in, you stew it up with the stalk or with the bones, and you can actually pull out that piece of mushroom and reuse it again. I would keep it in the freezer in between making stalk. And you can get a lot of flavor and a lot of the benefits out of the reishi that way. Uh, traditionally, reishi is used in pho to provide some of that, I believe it's umami flavor. And that's its main purpose is that flavor undercurrent. And that flavor is what has the health benefits. Yep, the bitter. And so she is very bitter. So once that piece of mushroom that you've um, stewed in your uh, broth pot several times, once it's no longer giving flavor, it's used up and it's time to toss it into the compost. Yep, pretty much. Now, lion's mane is a little bit tricky to grow because the mycelium is very wispy. So you actually have to base growing it off of time from inoculum, well, time from starting to fruit versus appearance in starting to fruit. Because the mycelium of the lion's mane is so wispy that sometimes you can't tell it's actually fully taken over the block and it will, well, attempt to fruit on the inside. Okay, let's just back up a bit. When you've got a grow kit, your grow kit has to be fully mycelated, meaning it has all of the wispy, um, generally gray or white, usually white, mycelium throughout the block before it will start to fruit. So when you first get the grow kit, if it's not completely white and and hard, it may take a little time before it's ready to fruit. They actually shouldn't be hard because if it, the mycelial layer is too thick, it won't fruit through it either. Okay. So you want to catch it in that in-between stage where it's not solidly white. It shouldn't look like a painted white wall. It shouldn't be that white and dense. It should be, you should still be able to delineate like the sawdust that's in there, but it should have a really light layer of wispy white over it. And so if you're planning on buying one for Christmas, wait till just before Christmas to get it, like a couple weeks before Christmas, Um, rather than say ordering it in September hoping it'll still be okay because it'll continue to, it's a living thing. And so it'll continue to mycelate that block. And so you want it ready just before you gift it. I would add that mushrooms are actually living, breathing organisms. They actually breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. Apparently they're even able to talk. What? Yes. Fungi can communicate with each other using up to, I believe scientists have found 28 different words. Okay, now you've got to tell me more. It was a study done in England that was testing to see if fungi would communicate because fungi don't really fit in the classification of plants. Obviously, we know that fungi are actually their own entire genus. But because they breathe oxygen and excrete carbon, it's actually interesting that they can actually communicate in a different way than plants do because plants communicate through their roots using the fungi network. So are they communicating with chemical signals or what are they doing? The study was unfortunately behind a paywall. It just said that they used some type of words. So fungal words. I would assume some type of chemical signal. 
since that's sort of what plants do, except plants use the fungi to send the chemical signals. Interesting. I, I think that plants are, there's so much about them that we have no idea yet. So much to study. It's so fascinating. If growing some of your own food sounds like something you're ready to do right now, I've got the perfect next step for you. My Fill Your Salad Bowl workshop is a concise workshop that will show you how to grow enough greens to fill a salad bowl every day. That's a great first step just to fill a salad bowl. It's not overwhelming and anyone can do it. You can do it even if you don't have any land, even if there's three feet of snow covering your garden, even if you've killed houseplants in the past, and even if you don't think you have a green thumb. Here's what we cover in this workshop. Now remember, it's a concise workshop. It's not gonna take a long time to go through, so everyone's gonna have enough time to do this. You'll learn three different salad green growing methods that you can implement right away. You'll learn the exact methods I use to keep my salad bowl full so I never run out, even if I have unexpected company. You'll also learn where to cut costs and still be successful growing salad greens at home. You'll learn the ideal equipment to use if you want to grow greens faster and easier. The unique pitfalls to avoid with indoor and container growing. You'll learn how to save a crop that goes wrong where to find organic seed at reasonable prices, how to store your seed so it stays viable for years so that you can save money now on bulk seed purchases. And you'll learn the health benefits of sprouts, microgreens, and healthy greens and how to optimize these benefits in the way you grow them and the way you store them. We'll also give you 17 ideas for using homegrown salad greens in the kitchen so they never get mundane. If you're ready, to start growing some of your own food and you think salad greens are a great place to start like I do, check the link in the show notes. So we were talking about um, reishi and lion's mane and oyster. I want to talk a bit about shiitake because shiitake is actually my favorite mushroom. The one I love to grow is oyster because it's so simple, but I love shiitake whenever we can get them. I grow shiitake on logs, um, and we only get a harvest spring and fall, and it's a very short window of harvest, but they can be dried for use for later. And shiitake mushrooms have a a huge health benefit profile. They're anti-cancer, antioxidant, And they're also um, anti-inflammatory, immune-supporting. They also help with digestion, and they help with all of the heart issues, um, lowering cholesterol, helping with heart health, lowering blood pressure. And so shiitake mushrooms, they, they look a lot like the brown mushrooms, the little brown grocery store mushrooms. Except they have white flecks on the cap. But they have white flecks. They, they're, they're sort of like a, a button mushroom dressed up for Christmas. And they grow on trees. And they grow on trees or logs, which is why I grow them on logs. And so you can also get shiitake in kits. And so that's one way to, to test them out. Shiitake are often found in the grocery store. The ones in the grocery store, though, are nothing like the ones you grow yourself. Usually around here anyway, the grocery store shiitakes are very dried out. So the the best thing to do with shiitake is to grow it yourself if you can. Or find a local mushroom farm that grows it. 
And we actually have a, a tutorial on the blog on getting shiitake started in logs. And I believe that you will find the link to that in the show notes. And uh, they're, they're a little bit tricky to get started. But once you get started, it's uh, just walk away. You don't have to think about it again. So mushrooms are a little different than other herbal remedies. Many of the constituents of um, the good parts of the mushrooms that are have health benefits are water-soluble. Um, and so you wouldn't necessarily make a tincture out of them. They're much better in a broth or in tea. If you did want to make a tincture, because obviously a broth or a tea is not going to be long-lasting in your fridge, they don't have a good shelf life, then you want to make a, what's called a double extraction. Which means you do one side out of alcohol with really high percentage, like Everclear, and when that's ready, you turn around and make a tea out of the mushrooms as well, and you combine a certain amount of the tea liquid with the alcohol liquid, and you make a stable double extraction. Shelf-stable double extraction, yeah. And by doing that, you get everything from the mushrooms that's alcohol-soluble and everything from the mushrooms that's water-soluble combined. So you get a full-spectrum mushroom remedy. It's really important if you're buying a mushroom remedy from a health food store that you read the label and make sure that it has both the water extraction and the alcohol extraction in it so that you know you're getting the full spectrum. And make sure it does not contain mycelated grains. If it says that it is made out of mycelated grains, you are not getting the actual fruiting body of the mushroom. You are only getting the roots, basically, and they do not have the same properties as the actual fruiting body. So you're looking for the fruiting body. Yep, because if it says the um, preparation is made out of mycelated rice, most of what you're getting is rice. That's right. So you're looking for the fruiting body of the mushroom in the remedy um, or make it yourself. And the one other point we want to make is that even though reishi, shiitake, oyster mushrooms are considered medicinal mushrooms, all mushrooms, even the little brown grocery store mushrooms, have health benefits, support natural immunity, and support longevity and health. Also, can we revisit oyster mushrooms for a minute? Oyster mushrooms have just as high antioxidant benefits as the reishi and the shiitake. But they are actually recommended as a rapid food source. So if you want to have something on hand that can produce food in just two weeks, oyster mushrooms are a great option to grow your own food. They're faster than lettuce and easier than lettuce. And they're actually being recommended to be studied as a disaster relief food source, especially in warmer countries, aka areas it doesn't freeze half the year. And... Literally, you can perpetuate mushrooms on scrap material, oyster mushrooms on scrap material, in a disaster situation or an emergency situation where you need high-protein food and be able to supply your own food. So I mentioned before about how easy it is to take just the mushroom mycelium and layer it like lasagna and get it started in coffee grounds. The coffee grounds that I did took about a month before they started fruiting, which is really fast. In, and that would be in the middle of summer. And that was outdoors. And that was outdoors with no other care other than watering it. Now, I could have taken that box of coffee grounds, and I do this quite often, broken it up and started other boxes of coffee grounds. And I started the whole thing with one grow bag. 
And I've been growing now for, I think, three years with the coffee grounds and yep. oyster mushrooms. And because you're doing it outdoors, the mycelium is getting challenged by the out outdoor competition. Outdoor competition, it's getting exposed to other food sources in the dirt, in the leaves that fall, and you're actually retaining strong mycelium because of that. Right. And you're also getting more benefits in the mushroom themselves because the mushrooms are being challenged by other fungi, viruses, bacteria, etc. So oyster mushrooms are super easy if you're inclined to try and grow your own. The, The one caveat is to make sure you're picking a variety of oyster mushrooms that will fruit in your predominant temperatures. So for me, that's blue oyster mushrooms. Um, if you live where it's warmer, it might be um, pearl oyster or pink oyster. Or yellow oyster. But if you live in an area it freezes, avoid trying pink oyster because they are very challenging to fruit once it starts getting chilly. So if you're interested in growing your own, we hope that we've enticed you to try it. Sarah has written a book called Growing Mushrooms for Beginners. And Sarah's book tells you how to grow eight different varieties of mushrooms at home, even if all the space you have is your kitchen counter. It includes information on using mushrooms for food and remedies and how to get started growing your own delicious and healthy mushrooms. So let's explain how to get started growing oyster mushrooms. Go ahead, Sarah. So obviously, start simple. Blue or white oyster are going to be the easiest and the simplest. They're the most aggressive varieties of oyster mushroom, and they don't require as much care for temperature fluctuation. So where I'm in Canada, my house is averaging between 60 Fahrenheit and 70 Fahrenheit, so between about 18 and 22 centigrade. And oyster mushroom, blue oyster mushrooms will grow well for me in my house at my house temperature. So you're going to want to start most likely with a grow kit because you can just take that grow kit and split it up into new growing medium. For growing medium, you will want something that is already partially sterilized. So that could be that day's fresh coffee grounds from your local coffee shop, or it could be some hardwood fuel pellets that are rehydrated with just boiled water. Those are my two recommendations as the easiest substrates to get started with, or combine them to just use a very low quantity of the coffee grounds. Then you'll want to split your grow block up. I like splitting my grow block into either fours or sixes and mixing it with about 10 cups wet of the new substrate. So that would be coffee grounds or the rehydrated fuel pellets once they're cool. If you mix the mycelium into hot fuel pellets, it'll kill the mycelium. Because they're living. Yep. And then I would put them into clean... Once you mix it together, put it into clean buckets. I like using ice cream buckets with a couple holes punched in them. So those work great. They're recyclable. And once you finish growing mushrooms out of them, you can re-recycle them. Or just grow more mushrooms. Now, some other options for substrates, if you say don't have access to the fuel pellets, you can semi-sterilize newspaper, cardboard, Blue jeans, blue jeans. Paper products, fabric scraps, yarn scraps. Maybe you do weaving or something and have a ton of cotton and linen scrap, yarn ends. You don't want to use polyester 
or any of the man-made fibers. Avoid petroleum products. We're not working with the mushroom that eats petroleum. Yeah, you want to use natural cellulose. Um, Some growers I've seen will sterilize fruit peels or veggie peels in a pressure canner to be able to use it, but you don't necessarily have to do heavy-duty sterilization if you stick with paper, fuel pellets, or coffee grounds. And then, of course, just fill your containers, make sure they have air holes, make one or two holes that are a little bit larger than the other ones, and those are where your mushrooms will fruit when they're ready. And then you just want to either break up the mycelium from your grow kit or layer mycelium from your grow kit with the new growing medium. I like mixing it together because then I don't have to rely on the layers outcompeting any mold that might be in between them. And instead, I have all my inoculation points spread out through the entire bucket. And it actually ends up being colonized a lot faster than if I do layers. So what does somebody do if they get mold? Uh, Put it outside and wait. Because you might still get mushrooms. You will still get mushrooms. You will still, guaranteed. Pretty much. I had bags that were 100% green and still fruited. Wow. Are those mushrooms safe to eat, though, if there's mold? They tasted fine. There wasn't any mold on the mushroom themselves. They fruited out, and I was able to harvest the mushroom without any trace of the contamination. The contamination is just competing with the actual mushroom mycelium. So it's not as vigorous. You wouldn't want to take a contaminated block and split it up into more blocks, because obviously that would spread the contamination. But if it's just a couple dots of mold or whatever, as long as you have it outdoors so the mold doesn't affect your household, you can still fruit the block. And with uh, lion's mane or coral tooth, I found that they were almost guaranteed to get some contamination. So I just ended up moving them outdoors and fruiting them outdoors. Excellent. And you can also fruit from a block two or three times, but often the third time is when you would want to be fruiting it outdoors because after the second fruiting, the block has started to get contaminated. And and also when you're doing your block, if you're starting with a grow kit, you can fruit it once or even twice and then divide it into another substrate. You don't have to like divide it right off the bat. Yeah, I like fruiting kits out once to make sure I get the biggest mushroom possible because most of the commercial kits you're getting are going to have additional additives to help make big mushrooms. So Those professionals will have added like soy pellets or wheat bran or something else to boost the nutrition and the availability of the block so that your very first flush of mushrooms off it can be up to two pounds off a five pound block. Wow. And so there's a little bit of math involved. Generally speaking, however much substrate you give your mushroom to grow on, that's how much mushrooms you're going to get. Is that correct or am I off? Um, It's a little bit off because you have to calculate out the water weight. So roughly the weight of mushrooms you get will be roughly equal to the dry weight that went into the block. So if you put 10 pounds of of wood pellets in your block, you're pretty much going to get around 10 pounds of oyster mushrooms from it? Over three flushes, yes. That makes it a really economical way to grow food. Yeah, and you can actually get higher yield by weight as well if you have some of the additives like wheat bran. So once you get your mushrooms growing too, it's pretty easy to share with neighbors. I took uh, basically a a disposable coffee cup and filled it with 
mushroom mycelium and handed it to my son and he took the mushroom mycelium down to the coast, got some coffee grounds, put it in a cardboard box, layered his mycelium in there. And within a few months, he was fruiting mushrooms. And that's on the coast. They get a lot more rain down there. Yeah. So it's easy to share once you get it going. So we strongly encourage you, if you're at all interested, to check out the How to Grow Oyster Mushrooms post and learn how to do this because this is a great skill, both a survival skill and a uh, herbal medicine making skill and a gardening skill that should be yours. And your spent mycelium is very good bait for your worm box or just to put in the garden to help attract earthworms and can enrich your soil a lot. A lot. So we've been talking about easy to grow mushrooms that you can grow yourself at home for superfoods and remedies. And we always want to leave you with one positive action. Learn how to grow your own oyster mushrooms in coffee grounds by checking out our article on the Joybelie Farm blog. There's also the link to my book, Growing Mushrooms for Beginners. It's in the show notes, or you can just find it on Amazon. And we also have other links to the Joybelie Farm blog for growing shiitake mushrooms, winecat mushrooms, and even lion's mane. And in the next episode, be sure to join us where we're going to be talking about winter spices and your home's scent print. You never heard the term scent print before? You're going to want to listen in on the next episode where we explain what that is and how to control a pleasant scent print for your home. Don't worry, growing mushrooms indoors won't affect the scent print of your house. I was worried. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me today. Thank you, listeners, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. And as always, please like and subscribe. Bye for now.